0: Oh, now, come on! Are y'all that excited? Like y'all are that thrilled to be here tonight, right? It's like yeah, I'm at church. Here we are again. Good evening. Good evening. All right, there we go. I'm going to need you to wake up because we're we're going on a little ride, a little, ride, a little journey tonight. Okay, and I need you awake. I need you there with me. I need you there till we get to the end. Can you do that for me? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Hey listen, let me me begin by saying thank you. Um, I have uh, so many great memories. I would say of this place, but really of the old building. And uh, it's just, um, it's good to be home. I had a supper tonight with Greg and Uh, The bakers came as well, and and I told Greg when we got through, I said, I needed that. I said, because I needed a reminder that I was just coming home tonight and just being with with family, and that is what this place is. My granddaddy called me, um, oh, good grief, it's been a couple of months now, four or five months, I don't know. We just moved to Kingston, and he said, hey, we're doing this summer series, here's the theme, we got all these people coming back. He said... uh, when do you want to come and what topic do you want? Which that's the good thing about having your granddaddy in charge of it is you get the best topic and you get the best date that works for you. So uh, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son tonight and we'll get there, Luke 15, if you want to go ahead and get there here, and just we'll, we'll get there, I promise, we will. Um, he called me back last week, well like y'all, we're in the middle of vacation Bible school and he goes, son... That's so how he talks to me. Son, Jana knows that voice. Are you ready? Am I ready for what? The summer series. Have you got your lesson ready? So that's not till next week, Granddaddy. He goes, I know, but you should be prepared. said, <laughs> so I'm in the middle of vacation Bible school. When it's over tomorrow and I get through, you know cramming a sermon together for Sunday morning because like I said we've been in vacation Bible school I'll get ready, don't worry about it I got it covered and uh, he gets to talk and tell me how everything goes he goes now let me ask you a question son and I'm like really don't have time for this Um, would it hurt your feelings if I'm not there I'm like here you have going to drag me all the way across the state we want to spend time with you we want to see you I'm not going to be there and I said well why are you not going to be there Well, we're going to go on the mission trip, and I thought I would love to be on that trip with him and my grandmother. The stories that are going to come back from that trip will be legendary, I promise. Ask them about it, and uh, I promise they'll be the best stories you ever hear. But it is good to be home. It is good to be back with you, and um, I hope that we can really engage into the Word of God together. I don't know if you remember... About five years ago, I was back and was speaking, I think it was actually the Sunday before Wes tried out, and uh, I was filling in, in in that kind of period, and I was going back and looking through some old sermons, because I, I have a stack from Luke 15, and I actually preached that Sunday on Luke 15, 1-10. So tonight, we're just going to kind of continue that series that we started five years ago, and we're going to talk about the prodigal son. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Over the last couple of weeks, our country has been kind of in an interesting, interesting place. With, uh, with the shootings, with the shooting that went on in Orlando uh, just last week, I guess it was, all of the... Uh, what's the best way all of the religious tension that comes from something like that and here you've got a uh, you've got a man that goes into this club and one of the things that he wants everybody to know is that he's doing this for Allah he's doing this for his god he's doing this for what the Muslims are the guy is the same God that we serve. And I watched an interview with a guy um, who was a mosque leader down there in Orlando, and he referred to the three major faiths of Judaism, um, Christianity, and, and Islam as the Abrahamic faiths. And he said, we all serve the same God. And I got to thinking about that. And that kind of rolled around in my mind. And I'm thinking about this, we all serve the same God. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, my God doesn't condone this. My God doesn't condone what some of your people in your religion say that He does condone. And I got to thinking about that question. And as I'm looking at Luke chapter 15, I keep rolling around in my mind this idea of, who is God? Who is God? And what is it from this section of Scriptures that I can look at and say, oh, that's who God is. Now, as we get into this story, the first thing that's going to become abundantly clear, and I want you to get this on the front end, because this is so important. This is, this is how we tie into the theme, if you will, is the Father in Luke chapter 15 represents who? God. And so we can look at this story. And we can ask ourselves, who is God? What was it about the father? What was it about God that, that made this son decide, hey, I can come home and still be welcome and still have this great relationship with my dad. And that's the idea I want us to keep in mind tonight. We're going to answer this question of who is God and what is it about God that makes me want to be at home with Him. So let's take our Bibles. We've got your Bibles. Raise them up. Let me see them. you got your Bibles? Sabers count as well if you've got your phones. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What an amazing passage. What an amazing story. Here's the first thing I want us to think about tonight. The Father, God... In this story, is a God, He is a father, He is a dad, who regrets your rebellion. Okay, He's a dad that regrets your rebellion. Now let's think back in this story a little bit. Let's lay the groundwork here. Let's understand what's going on. Two brothers. My brother just walked in. Say hi, Josh. Josh is here. Basically, here's what happens. Josh and I, since I'm the oldest... Jewish culture would dictate that when our dad dies, I get two-thirds of everything my dad has. Joshua gets a third of it. Sounds like a great deal to me. Okay? Wonderful deal. Scott, your bunch gets a Coke can and a baseball bat. But basically what he said, this younger brother comes to his dad. He says, hey, dad, look. I know you're not dead yet. But I know you're going to be someday. And why don't you just go ahead and give me what's mine. Go ahead and give me my inheritance. In his mind, he looks at his dad and he says basically, Hey, you're as good as dead to me. You don't have any purpose for me in my life. I just want what you owe me. Now let me ask you something, Dad. How well would that go over in your house? If your son came up to you and said, Hey, dad, I want you to give me what's mine. Are they going to get it? I mean, they're going to get something, right? It's not going to be their inheritance, I don't figure. And they still may go to a distant country after you get through with them, I don't know. But this is what this guy did. And his dad, his dad says, hey, okay. And you see in the passage that it says, a few days later, what it seems to me, if you kind of read into that, is it took his dad a couple of days Took his dad a few days to get everything together, to separate everything out, to maybe liquidate some assets, get some things to where, okay, look, I've got everything to give you. And he gave it to him, and he said, all right, son, goodbye. But here's what's interesting to me about this God loves you so much. God loves you so much that if you choose to walk away from him, He's not going to stop you. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? Have you ever noticed all the different stories where God was kind of standing there and people were sinning? And what what does He just let them do? He lets them just walk away. He lets them just walk away. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They're fixing to sin. does God pop down and go, Whoa, 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 stop, stop. I don't want you to do that. David's standing on top of his house and he's looking down at Bathsheba, looks at his servant and says, Hey, go get me that one. God doesn't say, David, wait, think about this. The dad doesn't lay down in the middle of the driveway and say, son, please don't go. No, God says, look, I have got something wonderful for you. But if you choose to go another direction, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. And why does he do that? Why does He do that? I think it's because forced love is not love at all, is it? Forced love is not love at all. Take your minds back to the end of Jesus' life. He's fixing to ascend back into heaven. And He says, all authority in heaven and earth, on earth has been given to who? I didn't hear you. Been given to who? Me. And then does it say, Therefore, go and make people love me. Could he have said that? All authority had just been given to Jesus, the Son of God. Did he have the authority to force everybody to bow down to him? Absolutely. What does he say? He says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. And in a paraphrase, I guess you could say, he says, go convince people why they should love me. Go convince people why they should love me. Go make disciples. See, because when you love Jesus, when you're convinced of that, what are you going to become? You're going to become His disciple. Now, you can walk away. There's something else I want you to understand around this idea, though. You may walk away from your relationship with God. But you never quit being His child. Now, now, now listen to me. Follow me here. I don't want you to think I'm going off some dangerous, dangerous doctrine here. Behind these curtains is a baptistry. And the moment you go down in those waters and you come up, what do you become? A Christian. But a child of who? A child of God. I've got two kids here tonight. Collins and Vance, they're both in class. No matter what happens, no matter how mad they make me, no matter how upset they make me, if they do what this guy does and says, Dad, I'm out of here, will that ever change the fact that they're my child? No, you are always God's child. But if you're not careful, you can put yourself in a situation to where you no longer benefit from God's mercy, from God's grace, from God's forgiveness. You can break fellowship with Him. And how do you do that? You do it just like this guy. When this guy looks at his dad and says, hey, look, dad, I want everything that you owe me, and I'm going to go off. I'm going to leave. And I'm going to go somewhere. And and you know what? Mom's cooking is good. But you know what? The buffet at the casino is even better. And that's where I want to be. And you say, God, I know what you've got. And I want something different. When you do that, that's called what? Sinning. And when you do that, you put yourself in that situation to break fellowship with God. To break... To break the benefits package, if you will. You're always going to be his child. But if you're not careful, you can put yourself where you don't benefit from those things anymore. And when you do that, when you put yourself in that situation, it breaks your father's heart. And you can tell by how this dad responds at the end of this story that that's exactly what it did it broke his heart and when you break that fellowship when you walk away God regrets it and God hates it but he's not going to stop you and that's an interesting thing about God but there's another interesting thing I want you to think about and that is if you choose to break fellowship with him when you come back you serve a God you have a father who runs when you return You have a father who runs when you return. So how does this guy's life end up? This guy's life ends up, look at, uh, I guess it's verse 13. He squandered his wealth on wild living. In other words, he had a pocket full of money. He had everything he ever wanted. He's fixing to get to live the life that he's always dreamed of. Can you remember being young? Can you remember being in high school? I know that... uh, Do they still do it? Do they still do the senior prophecies that run in the paper at the end of every year? And it's like in 10 years, when I was in band, um, the juniors did that for the seniors. And they got up and they read these prophecies that they had made. And it's like, in 10 years, this is this guy's going to be and in 10 years they said I'd be in the mission field with six kids and um, we don't have six kids yet and we're, we're in, in ministry so I guess mine was close but do you remember that time in your life and you're looking at man, what everything I ever wanted is at my fingertips I can do whatever I want this is what this kid's thinking I've got the opportunity to live the life I've always wanted to live Where'd he end up? Where'd he end up in the story? In the pig pen. He ended up slopping hogs. Any of you ever slopped hogs? Raise your hand. I've never slopped hogs. Don't ever plan on it. Closest thing I've got to that, though, is my Paul Ballantyne. He used to have a bucket on his back porch, and he had dogs out in the pen. At the end of every meal, he'd go out and he'd rake everybody's plate into the bucket. Now, most of the time, it's just him and my grandmother. It takes three or four days to get enough food in that bucket to take down and feed the dogs. And you'd go down there and visit, you know what he'd say? Hey, let's go feed the dogs. You know what a bucket of leftover food sitting on the back porch looks like after about day four? He'd go, Matthew, pick up that bucket. I'm like, your dogs, you carry the bucket. I'm not carrying that bucket. This guy is at the point, he wanted what was in the bucket. Think about that. He wanted what was in the bucket. And then he gets to that point and he realizes something. Everything I've been looking for, I had at home. Everything I've wanted out here, had at mom's table every relationship I looked for I had that relationship with my dad every friendship that I longed for I had that friendship with my brother and what does he do says that he what the best line in the whole best line in the whole story he what came to his senses And he starts home. Luke 15 is my favorite book. Favorite chapter. Sorry, favorite chapter in all Scripture. The interesting thing about the parable of the lost son though is there is a story nearly identical to this parable that rabbis told even before Jesus came onto the scene. And it's identical up until this point. Now what happens in the original version of this story is that all of a sudden, the young man comes home and he gives his spill. Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And His dad stops him right there and he said, you're absolutely right. You're not worthy to be my son. You you kicked me when I was down. You didn't want to have anything to do with me. You disrespected me in the most, the most amazing way you could disrespect somebody. And now you come crawling back to me after you've wasted everything. I've worked my my entire life for you're right, you're not worthy to be my son now. Pick yourself up and leave. That was the mentality of the people in that day. As a matter of fact, if you had a disrespectful son and he disrespected you enough, the law says in Deuteronomy chapter 21, let me, how many of you got teenage kids, teenage parents of teenage kids? You ready? We're all about book, chapter, verse, right? Here we go. Book, chapter, verse. Scott, you ready? You, this benefit you. Deuteronomy 21, 18-21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey, his father and mother shall bring him to the elders and say, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. Then all the men shall stone him to death. being a good thing your dad didn't know that verse till now, isn't it? That's the mindset. The people that are listening to this story, go back to the beginning of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you know what they're thinking as they hear this story? Now this is just commentary, okay? It's commentary. They're looking at this story and saying, okay, Jesus is fixing to throw down on these tax collectors and sinners. And they're waiting for this dad to stand up and say, look, you have nothing to do with us anymore. You go back where you came from. You're not welcomed here. But instead, what did Jesus do? Jesus flips the story. And Jesus says, as he's coming home, not just as he's coming home, says, while he was still... A long way off. You know what I envision? I envision this dad every day after everything's done. He walks out and he stands at the end of the driveway. That driveway that took his son. And he looks and he prays and he begs with God. God let my son come home. And maybe if he's not going to come home at least... Make sure he's okay. And then this one day, he looks down that road and here comes this figure. A figure that looks familiar. But he's looking at this figure and it's all hunched over. And just kind of drag. And he's like, no, that's not my son. That can't be my... My son never walked like that. Matter of fact, my son thought he was better than everybody else. He kind of walked that way. He walked like, you know, with a little spring in his step. And then he gets closer and he sees that this guy's dressed in rags. There's nothing... That- my son I always, he, I always gave him the best. But then he realizes, this is my son. And what does he do? While he was still a long way off, he did what? He ran. Let me ask you something. room full of adults. How many of you just run? Like that whole Forrest Gump thing. Forrest Gump just decided one day, I'm going to run. Forrest Gump runs like what, 15 years? And then just one day he stops. I run for a few things. If something's chasing me, I'm going to run. Not real fast, just enough to beat out the slowest guy. I'm going to run if my kids are in trouble. I may run to McDonald's. <laughs> I took this notion back several weeks ago. Went to the doctor. I'm on a little bit of blood pressure medicine. Doctor gave me this spiel, you know, new doctor, and he's like, you know, it could be genetic, could be your weight. We won't really know, you know, until you lose thirty pounds. I'm like, loud and clear, doc, I got you. Been working on that. Go downstairs, I'm running on the treadmill. been running for a couple of weeks. I'm down there getting my running on. I'm about eight minutes into my jog. I look down, the treadmill goes poof, flames, fire everywhere. I'm like, God, I got you. Loud and clear. Don't run. <laughs> Grown man just takes off running. People think something's wrong, right? Grown man takes off running in front of you. You're like... I don't know what it is. Maybe I need to run too, you know. It's not normal. Not only that, this guy had on a dress. Ladies, you ever run in a dress? It's not the easiest thing to do, is it? Guys, if you run in a dress, we'll talk about that another time. Completely different sign. Think about it. This dad reaches down, pulls his robe up, tucks it in his undergarment, more than likely, around his belt. His legs are showing. That's indecent. You don't do that. And he runs, and he takes off after his son. And he says this. This is what I want you to know about your God. It's that if you have wandered away, if you're walking away, if you're in in a direction that breaks fellowship with God, and you decide to come home, you serve a God that says, when you come home, I'm going to run and meet you more than halfway. Amen? No, now. Amen. Come on. That doesn't move you. You've got a God that rhymes to you. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's what it's about. And not only that, not only that, I want to give you one more thing. Granddad said I had 40 minutes. That's not even enough. We have a God. We serve a God. We have a Father who when you come home, after He meets you halfway, He's going to restore you. Let's look back at this story for a second. He says three things. I want to key in on those very quickly and then the lesson will be yours. Well, he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now that's a cool thing in the Greek because in the Greek... The literal translation there is that he smothered him with kisses. You've all had that grandmother, right? That just, you know, will not let you go when she kisses you over and over. That's what he did. He's that excited. But then look at what it says. It says, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the robe. Is that what it says? The best robe. Now think about this guy. Where's this guy been? Been in the pig pen. Not only has he been in the pig pen, I don't know how long his journey was, he's been walking. You walked outside lately? I got gas when I got into town today. Went inside, got something to drink, came back out. I was pouring in sweat. If I'd walked anywhere for 10 minutes, I'd have stunk. This kid comes out of the pig pen, and I'm sure he's covered in manure, and his dad looks at him, and the first thing he says is, Hey, go take a shower. He says, no, bring the best robe and let's cover Him. Let's wrap Him. Let's cover this filth and let's remind Him what it means to be a child in this family. You know, that's what these waters do. That's what baptism does for us. It's that moment that when everything in our life is nothing but sin, we go in that water, we come out of that water, and God wraps us in His righteousness and He no longer sees that filth. He only sees that purity. And that's what this dad did. Then his dad said, quick, bring what? Bring the ring. Put it on his finger. That's something that's a little bit distant to us. Some some places around the world still do this. But that family meant he, he belonged to something. And that ring gave him authority in his father's house. He could make decisions. That ring gave him something that the servants didn't have. And he said, I'm going to make you part of this family again, and I'm going to restore your authority. And then he says, bring bring, bring sandals and put on his feet. No, son of mine is going to go barefooted. Again, everything... Everything this young man lost or went looking for, he found it where? Where did he find it? At home. And then my favorite part of the story. His dad says, Hey, bring the fat calf. Is that what he says? Is there a difference between a fat calf and a fatted calf? A fat calf's just what? Added calf is what? Fed for a specific purpose, right? It's fed so you can what? Eat it. First potluck right here, Luke 15. But what I think, I may be wrong, what I would like to think is that this dad, this dad had this calf weight. This dad knew there's a chance my son's going to come home. And when he does, I want to be ready. I want to be there to meet him. And when he comes home, I want us to be ready to throw down and have this great party. I want him to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's welcome back. As a matter of fact, he says, and God says this to you. This is the last thing I want to share with you tonight. If you leave, if you decide to break fellowship, and then you decide to come home, God says, I'm going to treat you as if you never left. You know, that goes completely against our society's thought, doesn't it? You do something wrong to me, what do I have the right to do? Get you back, Right? That's what our society. You look out for number one. You worry about yourself. You do whatever it takes to get to where you need to go. It doesn't matter who you hurt or what you do. But God says, look, I'm not going to treat you that way. When you're at home, when you're in this place, when you're with this group of people, when you're with this family, I'm going to treat you as if you never left. Let me share something with you. That thing's very important to our Very important to our relationships as a church. And sometimes we miss this. And I think we've got to remember this from this story. For people to come home, they've got to have something to come home to. Think about that for a second. For people to come home, they've got to have something to come home to. Too. Now, I've never felt this way in Savannah. Never felt this way growing up about the brothers and sisters here, my family here. I've never felt that this is an overall judgmental place. Some churches are. Sometimes people don't come home because they know when they walk in that door and if they happen to walk down this aisle and sit on their pew and they come and they share their their, their, their mistakes and they share their, their sorrows and they're, they're waiting for someone, as we're supposed to, to pick up their burdens and, and carry them with them, they know instead they're going to get judged. Judgment, they're going to get criticism. And I hope and pray that as I look in this room and I see familiar faces and I see faces that I've never seen before, I hope that this group of people is just like the group I remember growing up. That if you do leave, this is a place when you come home, you'll be treated as if you never left. Because that's the God we serve. That's the God that loves you. That's the God that loves me. That's the God that, that sent His Son to die for us. And I hope that we can live up to that expectation of God's love. We're going to stop right there. Because I could talk for 20 more minutes and I've got 10. And if I don't stop, then we're going to be here 20 minutes longer. And my granddaddy would say no to that. He told me one time, you don't get paid any more for 35 minutes than you do 20. Then say it in 20 and sit down. I listened to the last sermon he preached and it was 34 minutes. (laughs) Hey listen, it is an honor and privilege to be back with you tonight. And I wish that our time was longer than just an hour because I know that there are things within the Word of God that we could talk about till midnight. That would be biblical, right? Then somebody would have to fall asleep, you know, and fall out a window, but we'll just pick and choose, you know. Hey, let's uh, grab the hand next to you if you can. Let's go to God in prayer as we close our time. God it truly is wonderful to be in your presence tonight to be able to put the thoughts of the world out of our minds when we walked into this place and to just be with family and God a room that it doesn't matter if if you've been here for the last 20 years or if this is the first time you've come back in 20 years that this is still family and God I pray I pray with everything I have that you will continue to bless this group of Christians at Savannah. That you'll give them what they need to be a light in this community as they always have. And I thank you for the love that they showed me and my family through the years. And that they continue to show through the relationships that we've made here. God, my prayer tonight is that when we look at you, when we see you and we begin to talk to our Father, That we see the love that you have. That we see that what you have to offer us is so much better than anything we can come up with on our own. But that if we do decide to choose that route, if we do decide to choose our own selfishness, our own desires, God, that you're not going to stop us, but that you're always going to be standing right there waiting for us to come home. And then when we decide to do that, You're going to run after us and and you're going to do the work, God. You're going to do the forgiving. You're going to show the mercy. You're going to show the grace. And God, thank you for that. God, I pray for anybody in this room tonight that may be struggling with that relationship with you, that may be in that place where they're breaking away from that fellowship or maybe they've broken away from that fellowship, God. May they return home. And not just come back to you, but come back to this family and serve you in a way that is is beyond awesome. God, just be with us as we continue our time together tonight. May the remainder of our time be a blessing to each of us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.